Hello, Earl Grey listeners, and welcome to another episode of Earl Grey. Before this episode uh, starts, we would actually like to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for a record monthly download for Earl Grey. Woohoo! We are so excited. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. We love that you're listening and uh, supporting us and enjoy your comments on the Babel Conference. And we just are truly humbled to be here thank you so much listeners yeah and a big thank go a big thanks goes as well to darren daniel and philip who you know well we've all kind of it's been a, a record month it's not been without everyone kind of bringing together and people downloading old episodes as well as new episodes and people that listened with those guys and then gave us a chance as well so yeah like so much of the credit goes to those guys too Absolutely. So if, without further ado, also, we also have the drawing for the uh, Blu-ray TNG uh, um, Blu-ray set. And Amy has uh, the all the names in a pot. And here we go. All right. So here they are. Shake, shake, shake. It's starting to match drum roll here. Yes. James Horner score bleeding. So all the names uh, were entered, and so woohoo! We have seventeen Brian. Uh, you are the winner of our Blu-ray Next Generation Complete Seasons, generously donated by Ju Kim, one of our uh, listeners. And so, seventeen Brian, please contact us so that we can uh, get you that Blu-ray set as soon as possible. Because I know you want it; it's so fabulous. Awesome. Yes, please uh, contact us as soon as you can. Uh, we'll, we can uh, definitely post a link on the on this episode. And um, yeah, we'll get you uh, your prize as speedy as possible. Yay. Thank you, everyone who gave us a ratings and review on the iTunes store. And we love to hear what you have to say. So continue doing so. Absolutely. We really, really appreciate it. And, you know, hopefully you enjoy your prize and I'm sure there'll be plenty more prizes in future. Oh, yes, I think there is. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. I'm one of your hosts for today, Lee Hutchison, and I'm joined as always by Richard Marquez. How are you, Richard? I'm doing good. It's warm over here. How are you doing? Yeah, it's cold as always here in Scotland. So, um, yeah, it feels like, you know, I think you're the only person that's been a consistent every episode now of Earl Grey after your amazing interview last week with Morgan Gendel. Um, So, yeah, I'm back again. But unfortunately, Amy is not with us today. She's away having an amazing holiday out there on Riza. So um, we're envious. So here we are in Earl Grey HQ. And it wouldn't be right just to have me and Richard here just, you know, playing with all the toys. We've thought we'd enlist a special guest to join us for today. And we've enlisted Kay from To The Journey to join us. Hello, Kay. Hi, Lee. How are you doing? Yes, I'm not too bad in yourself. Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. I'm uh, excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad not to be the token Brit on this episode for for on this show for once. It's a, an awfully big treat. Yeah, I know how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we do share something in common. Yes, and what is that, Richard? Well, we all grew up in the UK. Well, exactly. I completely in the UK, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've been wanting to do this episode for ages, and it's just the way it's kind of landed with Amy being away. We thought, we, you know, she didn't grow up in the UK. She cannot contribute anything whatsoever to this episode so we were like well we'll go for this episode today and we thought well we've got to get Kay on board you know someone that's got that experience as well we're going to talk about what it's like to grow up as Star Trek fans in the UK that kind of Trek FM is mostly like 
American, North American hosts, and we know what it's like to have grown up in America and all those experiences. But what was it like to have that British feeling? What was it like to watch it on the BBC, have all the different experiences that being a Star Trek fan provides in the UK and talk about maybe the pros and cons of that that experience being away from the Star Trek kind of epicenter as it were. So Richard I'm going to come to you last because I think yours will be quite unique how Mr. All-American G.I. Joe himself is uh, became so anglicized became so anglicized um, so you know Kay you're the special guest What? how did you you know wherever you grew up in Britain how did you get into Star Trek what was what was it about kind of Britain that made you the Star Trek fan that you are well I'm not even sure who it was in our family actually that decided that you know we should start watching the next generation when it first came on which if I'm correct I believe in the UK was about 1990 so it was about three or so years later than it was in the States we we didn't get it till a bit later on um, I know my dad had watched quite a bit of the original series in first run um, but I don't think he'd ever been sort of a big big Trekkie he'd been somebody who watched it but not not a mega fan uh, so when it sort of came on, I suspect it was probably my brother actually sort of spotting it in the TV times. Um, big article. I remember this big article, double pager in the TV times, big picture of Farpoint Station, big article all about Star Trek coming back. Uh, I remember that article. And actually, I think the reason I remember it is because we had the Farpoint Station uh, Far- and Car at Farpoint episode. We had that taped on VHS and my mum had cut the article out of the TV Times and she'd put it into the into the case where she taped it off the TV. So that article stayed in there for quite a while. So, yeah, I suspect it was probably my brother spotting that who'd gone, oh, we should watch this. So me and my dad awesome. and my brother used to sit down and watch it together. So you came from a big Star Trek family then? Yeah, I think so. Although I'm the only one that's really a a mega Trekkie these days. I did persuade my dad to watch all the way through Voyager. A a couple of years ago. Oh, he quite enjoyed it, actually. He did quite like it. Excellent. And as he kind of was, he like kind of the traditional bread and butter Star Trek fan there from the original series. Yeah, he, he watched original series in, well, first run in the UK, which I'm not quite sure how much later it was than in the States. I don't really know about the dates there, but yeah, I think it was the 70s, wasn't it? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. And, and Richard, obviously, how did you come around to being a Star Trek fan, you know, that especially with the kind of the UK twist? Uh, you know, uh, my my dad was stationed over there in um, with the Air Force. And uh, the first time uh, we've already discussed it actually on, on a previous Earl Grey episode. But like, yeah, uh, the uh, for those of you who have not heard about it, it's I was sitting there um, just I think it was after school and I Tin Man came on and I was hooked after that. And, you know, I'm actually kind of jealous of you guys because you guys see more TNG than I do because like we have a broadcast, uh, we have a um, BBC here on our, our, on our channel list and everything. And it's always next generation. And I'm like, man, I wish that was all over the place. I wish Star Trek was on every major network over here but it's not <laughs> it's I mean, always it's not really on kind of every network here nowadays anyway like i think it's almost pretty much exclusively on cbs action um it's it used to be kind of on the bbc the big british castle and then it moved to kind of sky and then some of it's on the sci-fi channel and then a lot of it's now on kind of cbs action it's kind of it's not on quite regularly it's not regular on British TV whatsoever. So you kind of have to seek it out on the kind of the backwater channels, the, the big hundred plus uh, channel numbers to, to find it these days. Oh, that's disappointing because it's always on BBC over here. <laughs> yeah, was it BBC America? <laughs> yeah, I hear that. And I think, are we selling it back to you guys now? That just confuses me. <laughs> yeah. So how does BBC America work, Richard? Uh, you know, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I'm assuming. Well, it it definitely shows uh, new bro- news broadcasts that are uh, happening there for you guys as well. So anyone that's homesick, because I believe that my well, my stepmother is actually English as well. Uh, she's from uh, a, a little town called Banbury, and um, yeah, she I I believe she watches that here and there to um, I guess reconnect with home. Obviously, she she keeps in contact with her family and and, and whatnot. But I mean, it's you know it's news. So, um, but yeah, I I assume I, I assume basically it's the highlights of whatever's going on there in um, in England. I assume. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've just always been kind of curious about the kind of contradiction between the title BBC America. It just doesn't seem quite right. It seems yeah. like we've uh, we've taken back over America that, you know, you threw our tea in the sea and then we've come back with a vengeance. <laughs> so, nice. like, so you're talking about like, Kay, for example, that, you know, you, you were there bang on the beginning of um, the, the 90s when Star Trek The Next Generation started. I mean, I think when America was watching the best of both worlds, uh, waiting for that long summer, I don't think we'd even started the next generation by that point or it must have been in and around the uh in around that point i mean i didn't get into kind of the next generation until i think about 1992 in and around that time i think i was about kind of five or six and i remembered vividly as anything i think the first episode i really remembered watching was time's arrow and they showed Time's Arrow Part 2 and then they had a break for some reason after that episode. Yeah, I remember that. And, yeah, and I rem- the part I always remembered was there's a British programme called Points of View um, and someone wrote in a letter to Points of View to talk about how wonderful Time's Arrow was and how frustrating it was that there was now going to be this break for Star Trek The Next Generation. So, yeah, that was quite kind of frustrating. So it was kind of like, I think, you know, up until kind of maybe you know repeats on really sky like i was maybe seeing just like random episodes here and there on a wednesday night on bbc2 and it was so frustrating it was back in that day where you miss the episodes you're lucky if you ever see it again you know it feels like it's been lost into the ether and it was really good kind of to eventually catch it all up um and then i always remember generations coming out and that just being kind of the biggest thing ever here in the uk yeah it was huge yeah, Richard, you're nodding away and everything oh, yeah. like that. So uh, did you experience the Generations period here in the UK? Uh, actually, when it came out, we just left England. So, it, yeah, I had to watch it here in the United States. Uh, but <laughs> I was looking forward to that movie so much. And then, yeah, we left. <laughs> oh, dear. What about yourself, Kay? You you would have experienced that, obviously, having yeah. gone through the whole period of The Next Generation on TV. Was that an easy transition for you to get to the cinema to see Generations? Um, I don't actually remember whether I went to the cinema to see it because we weren't, we weren't really big cinema goers as a family. We never really did that very much. Um, but I certainly remember watching it when it first came out on VHS. I remember that. Um, and yeah, I remember it being really big over here. I remember all the posters and stuff on the bus stops. <laughs> yes, I think I remember that. And the toys as well. I remember yeah. the toys were like massive. And yep. I think that's definitely, we'll have to talk about the toys as well. But uh, yeah, like I remember Generation just feeling like the biggest kind of Trek moment at that time. And like, I don't think Deep Space Nine had started here in the UK yet. And um, I don't think Voyager had started really by the time Generations kind of came out here. And I, I mentioned it on a previous pod, I um, was so hyped up for generations um, and I was hit by a stomach bug and I couldn't make it that day and have you ever seen that episode of The Simpsons where Bart can't go see the Itchy and Scratchy movie yes. and he's just stuck in the house <laughs> that was my pain that I felt like everyone was seeing generations there it was it was how it would work would it be like it would be shown in the big cinema kind of in Aberdeen which is about like 35 miles from where I grew up and you know that was kind of it and then it would work its way to some of the smaller cinemas so there's a town like 15 miles away from me in Ruri that was showing it and I was kind of like oh my god this I finally will have the chance to go see it, it was that purple poster with just the Enterprise warping yep. away and then I missed it again and no. I wasn't able to go. Um, and it was just like a nightmare. And the first time I got to see Generations, it wasn't in the UK, but it was in Spain because someone was selling pirate VHS <laughs> and my parents picked me up the Flintstones movie with John Goodman and um, Rosie O'Donnell. And um, <laughs> yeah, I watched them in a, some Spanish villa, just like this really bad pirate copy of Star Trek Generations. Amazing. And I probably watched that hundreds of times. Yeah. So yeah, that was a, a bit of a frustrating period. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, so like one thing that kind of was always like a frustration for me kind of as a fan you know growing up in the the 90s and as a kid and kind of the UK experience and I think it's still kind of a bit of a problem now is kind of the lack of Star Trek events here in the UK 
I think I can think of a few over the years and I, I've wondered if you've ever kind of gone to them there was obviously there's been a couple now of Star Trek Destination London Birmingham yeah. events there was the Star Trek exhibition there's some sort of Star Trek museum randomly in Blackpool of all places yeah. um, and I'm kind of wondering like what kind of Star Trek things have you been able to go see conventions and did you always kind of feel like myself that during the 90s it was just a frustrating period to be a Star Trek fan here in the UK yeah I mean I didn't go to any cons until the one last year the the destination that was in last October I didn't I didn't get to any cons I mean I'd been to some cons but not Star Trek ones um I'd actually met John Billingsley randomly at like a tiny little con in Wrexham, which is near where I live. <laughs> really, really random. He was just there. So yeah, I'd met him and that was it basically until I got to destination. But um, yeah, I do know what you mean. It's been it's been something quite frustrating to not really have when you when you see all the big stuff that's going on in the States and not really having that so much over here. Yeah. Like, did you get to any of the events when you were here, Richard? Uh, no. <laughs> My first uh, Star Trek convention was actually the 50th at Vegas. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, that was definitely overwhelming. <laughs> That's yeah, for sure. Like, That's always the feeling I kind of get with like some of the Star Trek events that have been here in the past few years is that you're saying overwhelming. I feel underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've always cast a kind of envious eye to America and... Um, I remember like Star Trek experience being like looking like the mecca of Star Trek things to see and do in the world. And I remember my my grandparents, um, they'd been over in Vegas and they came back with like a a Star Trek ceramic plate from there. Um, I don't know where it is now. I think it was like a best of both worlds one or something. And um, I was like, oh yeah, that was amazing. And I I always wanted to go to the Star Trek experience. It was my dream. And then for my 21st birthday and my parents, 25th wedding anniversary, we decided to do like a trip around kind of America and California and we were going to go to Vegas. I was like, I can finally go to the Star Trek experience. <laughs> and they closed it a month before. And I was oh. like, oh, oh my God, it was the absolute biggest punishment. I was like, so close, so close. Yeah, so, so far. Got it. <laughs> my God, that place is, well... Yeah, it was awesome. I'm, I'm sorry. Tell, tell I, us about it, Richard. Oh Give us, gosh. you know, this is a British episode, but let's hear, let's, you know, a bit of self-harm. <laughs> Make okay, us feel so, worse. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I never, I haven't been to a con, uh, or at least a Star Trek con uh, at that time. Comic-Con, that's a whole different story. But, like, oh, wow. Going to Vegas uh, and to the experience, it was definitely... I, I really wish they would have that kind of atmosphere for the uh, for the 50th because that would have been just amazing or at least even put everything back the way it was in the Hilton just have it there why not but like it was just it you, once you step through that gate it was just amazing it was it, everything that you could possibly think of when it deals with like models and uniforms and just characters all around and they stayed in character oh my gosh it's so awesome and um it was definitely um an experience that i will never forget <laughs> uh but like when they when they closed it down it's uh i really wanted to take jennifer there and i'm like and when they closed it down i'm like, like great <laughs> Oh, nightmare. Like, I remembered when I was a a young boy, there was a Star Trek kind of exhibition. I've still got the program brochure. I picked up on eBay like last year for one pound. And it was like basically this traveling Star Trek exhibition in the 90s that had like uniforms, costumes, props and everything. And I I was a bit too young to like properly appreciate it. Um, And my family were down visiting where I live now, Edinburgh. And we were like, oh, we'll have to go along because obviously they've got a Trekkie son. Let's indulge the geek in the family. And I think I ran through the exhibit just to get to the gift shop I was just like I want to get to all the Star Trek toys and I was just like you know oh look at that uniform don't care where's the gift shop where's the gift shop and I always remembered like I bought um bizarrely just like picked up off the shelf the video I got was like masks and eye of the beholder and my brother who wasn't a Star Trek fan but just wanted a toy was like the Picard with his like gray suit and everything like that on so yeah like I, I wish I could go back in time and properly appreciate that museum for for all it's worth so uh yeah that was a, a bit of a frustration <laughs> 
You know, actually, uh, if you want to see some of the uh, the Star Trek experience, I mean, it's not going to be the same experience, but there's a science, there's a sci-fi museum in Seattle, or at least that's what I've been hearing, that a lot of the Star Trek experience stuff went to. So if you ever want to come back to America and uh, see what what was there, because they actually, I, I, I remember seeing a documentary about it, and I can't remember where exactly it's at, but yeah, like I said, it's in Seattle somewhere. But like, uh, yeah, it's it's... Got all the stuff, so if you really want to go back and see those uniforms, go for it. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Mm. Like, um, and like for for you, like kind of uh, Kay, like you were saying that this was your first Star Trek experience uh, in the the kind of kind of few months just past destination, and I, I remember seeing you there everywhere I went, <laughs> and um, you were saying like you know this was your first one, um, for you with this this being the first one out the gate. Did it live up to the expectations? Did it feel a disappointment? Like for a UK fan to, you know, to have it finally come and be able to take part in it, how did it kind of feel to to go there? Was it what you expected or was it kind of tame in comparison to all the photos and pictures that we're subjected to every year from the Star Trek con in Vegas? Well, I think it probably didn't live up to Vegas, like even vaguely, but I had a great time. I know a lot of people were disappointed with some of the stuff. Um, I The thing that disappointed me probably was the lack of traders more than anything, mm-hmm. because there was very few traders there, really. Um, and I'd had, you know, quite in mind quite a few things that I wanted to look for, and there just wasn't really that much there. But I had a great time. I had a really good time, so... What were the highlights for you then? Obviously, this like no, probably a, a bit of pressure and excitement. Like, what kind of lived up to the hype and kind of going forward? What would you say kind of they could do better for the UK fans? Um, what could they do better? Um, I just think it it felt like, and I don't know whether this is true of Vegas as well because obviously I've not been, but it felt very commercial. It felt very much mm-hmm. like a sort of get as much money out of you as possible, push you through you know, photos, autographs, just churn, like a, like a money factory is kind of a bit how it felt. Um, I think because it was my first one, I think I probably had a bit of rose tinted glasses with it. And there were some people there that I really wanted to meet and I was really excited about. So I think I probably saw it a bit with a, with, with that sort of view. But I, I think if I went to another one and it was the same, I'd probably be a bit like, I want something more out of this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I, I I totally agree with that. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, so Richard, this is a question for you then. Oh, okay, <laughs> is a Las Vegas Star Trek convention in the home of sin, money, and vanity a commercial convention as well, <laughs> or is it a mama and papa Star Trek convention? <laughs> uh, you know, that's funny because uh, uh, when she was mentioning about the ven- uh, vendors and everything. Um, that's one of the things that I was that was the, my biggest critic uh, criticism about uh, Star Trek Las Vegas was that the vendors that are there in Vegas were the same vendors that come to uh, Starfest, which is also a, a dedicated uh, convention. I mean, it has us two or three Star Trek guests and then everything else like Stargate or something like that. Uh, but like, because uh, like I think this year was Connor Trainier and Michael Dorn and Nana Visitor was uh, came last year, and this year it's going to be Odo and then that's it so um yeah it was the i was kind of disappointed with that because i was expecting more uh like a uh, more vendors uh some more cool stuff that people made um, by hand or something like that but yeah i was extremely disappointed with that but like the schedule <laughs> that was the one thing i hated about the whole entire thing because all the cool stuff that i wanted to see was in was in one theater and then on the other side was another cool thing <laughs> that i really wanted yeah. to see as well it's like oh my god you guys are killing me <laughs> so yeah, the schedule um, was hard <laughs> uh, yeah you had to pick and choose and uh, which ones you really yeah. wanted to see and what you didn't want to see but you wanted to see all of it <laughs> yeah but like, yeah, it's just, yeah. It, but it's an amazing experience. If anyone, uh, anyone's listening, or uh, everyone that's listening, you, it's definitely a, a marvelous experience. It's especially if you're a Star Trek fan. But yeah, it's just don't don't bring uh, a light wallet. 
Like, yeah. I mean, the thing that kind of has always bugged me is kind of like a Brit looking on kind of with the envious eyes is that the, the if it was only one month later, it would make such a difference to, to, to for those in the UK. Like the prices of the flights are double because it's what we would class as the school yeah. holidays. Have it one month later, as soon as it hits September 16th, those prices are slashed. And like I could go to Vegas for a quarter of the price I would like the previous month and I was thinking like it's my 30th um, pretty soon and I was like oh maybe I'll go to Vegas to start out coming that's what I'm going to properly do it this time and and then I just looked at the flights and it was like over a thousand pounds and that was before like ticket prices accommodation I was like no I just cannot justify that cost uh, whatsoever how, how much is that American? <laughs> um, it's probably like flights are probably maybe kind of 800, 900 Oh, that's I don't a, know. Okay, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty um, high. But yeah, it's it's crazy. Like it's it's so frustrating, and it just kind of prices you out of even yeah. kind of thinking. Oh, maybe I'll do it. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I looked at the price of the flights and went, mm, no. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, yeah. I know. It's just uh, I can uh, just can't justify the cost. It's it's a heartbreaker. Oh, so come it's, on. it's something I just it's I'm a Star not, Trek convention. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> I don't I'm a man living by my own and all sort of I can't justify maybe we need uh, to start a kickstarter yeah exactly get the Brits to Las Vegas yeah like how much will how much would people pay to like meet us we'll do meet and greets and signings and everything like that I'll sign autographs we'll get creation to pay for our flights out and then we'll do some signings like five bucks and all that sort of stuff I'll put some sort of way Scottish comment on a you gotta bring a lot of headshots in exactly yeah like I'll bring haggis all that sort of stuff iron brew I'll sell that you know whatever oh yeah iron brew (laughs) <laughs> we'll reach out to creation and make this happen it's gonna be uh look out for it 2017 18 the brits are gonna have their yeah. own panel and all that sort of stuff i'm tweeting over right bridge now. mates the brits are coming that's that's <laughs> i'm gonna brits make that mates. happen the crowdfunding's the, happening the brits mates i love it the brit mates. <laughs> exactly like you see it as you see it Kay, and i see it yeah like to the journey and uh, earl gray are like pretty high up in like the UK iTunes charts so you know f- for every person that puts us into the UK iTunes chart if they can dip in like 50, 50 pounds or yeah. something like that yeah. we'll easily hit our target that, that doesn't seem too much to ask frankly for a low donation of only one pound <laughs> exactly well maybe more than that maybe maybe triple that well um, if you guys got a lot if you guys like got a lot of listeners that uh, over there and love the show yeah you're gonna you're, I think you'll be fine <laughs> exactly we'll that's what we're episode. gonna have to do we're, exactly we do this for free we don't ask for much all we're asking for is to pay some flights accommodation some you know the gold level vip ticket we're, we're just being <laughs> really humble we we're, we're not traveling asking cargo. for much yeah well no first class like we are kind of you know the vip and all that sort of stuff so you know we don't ask for much you know patreon you know you know put in like an extra hundred dollars and say earmark for lee and k's <laughs> glorious adventure <laughs> exactly we'll, we'll do a podcast out there or something like that to justify the cost so yeah there you go we'll do a crowd crowd fund for that <laughs> listeners <laughs> please don't actually for... send us money <laughs> exactly i don't want to be in trouble for i was gonna uh, say yeah because I, I think the convention's actually sold out <laughs> oh, exactly Probably. so well you know well i'm sure there's like the vip like the, the fifteen thousand pound tickets i mean it's their fault for not getting the tickets for us sooner so yeah We've got to get the more expensive ones. <laughs> um, like, kind of for me, like, I, I first went to a kind of Star Trek convention. I think it was one of the first ones in London when they did Destination Destination London, and I just couldn't believe it finally kind of come. And I, I was the same as UK. Like, I, I'd kind of, like tinted glasses perhaps to it because it, I think it was much bigger and better than the, the one in Birmingham that mm. had just passed and I, I could justify spending all the money on photo shoots with Patrick Stewart, William Shatner all these things like going to all the talks and um, yeah it was like a total buzz to finally get it because like up until then there was really no Star Trek representation out with maybe the odds Z-list cast member and stuff yeah. so I think the destination Star Trek things have been really good to kind of bring something to the UK and give the fans somewhere to go and that's not necessarily a bad thing whatsoever yeah yeah absolutely and like yeah yeah like i think hopefully like i say they're they're meant to be globe trotting around europe i think they've been in the england three times and germany the once so um yeah it seems a bit of a kind of bizarre uh combination of kind of dates and plans yeah are you talking about fedcon 
Uh, no, FedCon's always based in Germany, but yeah. like Destination Star Trek, they it's meant to be a Europe European thing. Ah. So it was like in London, then uh, Germany somewhere, and then back to London, a break then in Birmingham. So just like hundred odd miles north of London. So um, yeah. yeah, it seems to be a bit of a kind of uh, definitely British based kind of thing. So yeah, like I I I personally quite enjoyed actually Star Trek Birmingham. I don't mean to sound too critical of it. It was it was actually good fun in the end. Like I was kind of a bit frustrated kind of with the build up to because it, it felt like you know some of the people I wanted to see were not going and all these sorts of things. And then I just I looked I had got tickets and I at one point I was like oh man we haven't got an accommodation yet we haven't booked flights not flights uh, travel I mean, like can I justify going and in the off chance I applied for like a press pass and I got it and I just absolutely milked it for all it was worth it was, <laughs> yeah. it was so much fun like uh, the, the highlight for me was like the William Shatner was doing like a talk on the Saturday night it was like a stand up show and um like it was like oh you cannot get into paid talks with this ticket and I was like try me and uh, so I just was like I swaggered into this William Shatner talk and I went right up to the front row because yeah. it wasn't like seated things and I was like the people in the front two rows basically paid like 150 pounds to sit, sit there and I just planted my butt right between them and like they, they just more than that. were checking out yeah they checked over people's uh, like uh, tickets and stuff and I just showed my badge and the guy went yep yeah, not a problem I was like and it was just it was just it was really good to get like that kind of level of access Mm. because i think the biggest frustration thing is like it is a cash cow that all these talks you know you get the free talks but they're so they just milk you you get this basic standard ticket for like 30 pounds but that's before you include parties before you include tickets before you include signatures and it ends up being more than it would cost to go to like new york for a long week is and that's the frustrating part that you you know, it's the same with every franchise really I've, I've done star wars celebration and everything like that and it's it's you do feel like a cash cow but like you're sometimes just so grateful that you're getting access to some of the stuff that you always dreamed of and looked on the tv and the fact that we were had such a kind of dry spell of that kind of stuff in the uk kind of means you're a bit more forgiving of it maybe mm. yeah so do you guys have to pay to get into the uh I guess the the panels and all that kind of stuff on Not top of your ticket. Not all of them. It depends on which ones they are. Ah. So some of them were paid, but some of them weren't. They had three stages, and mm. the two of the stages had all three talks on, and then one had talks that were paid. Huh. Because of the past, yeah, so things like yeah, so things like kind of William Shatner you know all the kind of the a-list talks and all that sort of stuff if you're if you were like a cast member on enterprise you're a free ticket if you were like a kind of recurring guest star you're a free ticket but if you've got your name in the credits if you were like one of the prime names you're you're like a ticket kind of cost and all that sort of stuff and all that kind of goes back into kind of like paying off their kind of bills and everything like that so yeah it's um yeah, it's, it's certainly great, but you've just got to be prepared to spend the money. And I think, um, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go to another one for a good few years now. I feel kind of pretty, pretty well served by it and stuff like that. So, yeah, unless there's something, unless it's kind of closer at home for me, I, I think I'm done with the convention scene for probably a little while. Yeah, that's what we said about uh, Star Trek Las Vegas, because we were only there for two days, but I can't even tell you how much money I spent. Yeah. I, I actually, I don't want to tell you how much money I spent. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, oh, wow. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it, it's definitely expensive. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's kind of ties into another thing. Like, I always think the UK has maybe had better, like, Star Trek stuff to buy, though, than America. I don't know if that's maybe something you feel, AK. Like, um, I always think Star Trek merchandise in the UK has always been a bit cooler and better than America. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I don't really know what, like, because I don't really know what they've had. Um, I think now, yeah, in the States, they get tons more stuff than we do. But I think maybe back in the day, I don't really know. I mean, I remember having all the Playmates stuff when I was a kid. I had a lot of that stuff. <laughs> I remember when you could buy it all in Toys R Us. 
Yes, exactly where I bought mine. Always Toys, on, <laughs> Toys R Us. It's all there, yeah. all under one roof. Yeah. It's called to- Toys R Us. Um, yeah, those Playmate <laughs> toys, like six ninety nine, proper size action figures. Yeah. They were so cool. Like, I, I've gone through a bit of, like, I'm turning 30 and I'm pretty sure I'm in crisis and I'm buying all the stuff <laughs> that I couldn't afford or buy when I was a kid. So, like, in the past year, I've bought all I've bought the, all the Playmate um first contact toys so i've got all the action figures and i've got the enterprise the borg sphere the phoenix and um i think i've just officially lost the plot because um like you can get like one of the people that you can get them in the spacesuit with the helmet yeah and i was like oh yeah 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 well so i've got the picard one then i was like but there was three of them on the hull so i might as well just buy another two and just keep the helmets on them and that's technically Worf in space that's lieutenant hawk in space and picard and i genuinely think i'm cracking up i'm literally (laughs) buying the nonsense that my parents couldn't even you know even like other stuff like i'm buying like star trek monthly bulk on from like ebay and all that sort of stuff like 100 issues for 10 pounds don't know what I'm going to do with it but I feel I have to buy it because I wanted it so much as a kid or I could only get a few yeah. copies because it was a lot of money I just I'm literally having this midlife crisis where I'm just buying up nonsense from my childhood that I just can't justify it's buying than a Ferrari <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If I could afford a Ferrari, I would be buying that over like an extra edition of a Playmates action figure. But you'd have a Star Trek personalized plate, though, right? I did, but I don't know where that vanished to. Like as I say, it came back from from Vegas and stuff. So <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, like um, I know, like even like. It's just, it's crazy. But I think, like, the UK, like, they kind of probably best... I don't know if you've gone to them, Kay, but I think the best kind of Star Trek events that have kind of gone on in the past few years have been the kind of events at the Albert Hall. Have you gone to any of them? I haven't gone to them, no. I've, I know of them, though. I think they've been pretty cool, yeah. Oh, yeah, like, amazing. Um, I remembered when it was announced, like, I immediately bought tickets and I was like, I, I don't care if I'm going myself, I'm, I'm going to go. And I went to the, the Star Trek, they announced Star Trek 09 and then the next day they were like, oh, and we're going to do Into Darkness as well. I'm still waiting for a Star Trek Beyond and like those Star Trek events at the Albert Hall are just incredible. Like I know that people ha- are very critical of the Kelvin movies quite rightly here and there, but I think like when you see them with a live audience, you just, there's something really special. Like when they were playing with the live orchestra and the Enterprise drops below the clouds and then comes back up like there's spontaneous applause and it's things like that where you like these movies genuinely do have an audience even though you would look on forums and stuff and you would think oh people are just not happy with these movies or think they're a load of MacGuffins or whatever like they do have a, an audience and they seem to be you know to sell out the Albert Hall like four times is pretty impressive for movies that people think are the worst um, and I think that shows that Star Trek has a great audience and love the music and I think they did the Star Trek Star Trek Star Trek Into Darkness and then I think about 18 months ago they did The Ultimate Voyage where they played a selection of the live music and that was just something incredible to hear the first contact score live as well was, was pretty special yeah I bet that's yeah. another thing so, I spent too much on as well was the, was did the, you go to the Ultimate Voyage as well? <laughs> what did. did you think of it? It came through Denver and oh my gosh, that was incredible. Because I think I got the hoodie, I got pins for Jennifer and I, I got the CD, I got the movie poster, or not movie poster, the concert poster, and I think I got the program too. Yeah. But I was trying to say you're sponsored by uh, this, by this Richards. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, yeah, there you go. I'm going to fund your guys' tickets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, there you go. Like, um, yeah, the Ultimate Voyage I thought was pretty cool. I mean, the, my only frustration was that I wish it was more focused a bit on the music. They had obviously this live video and like the audio on that was just a bit too loud. Like I just wanted to let the music kind of breathe on its own. Like I would have been just happy to hear an orchestra symphony just playing the music. Um, but it, to, to hear that kind of music live is, is always such a treat. Yeah. And I'm really hoping um, Star Trek Beyond gets the same treatment down in the Albert Hall. I mean, on the first first night of uh, 09 like Simon Pegg came out and then they they were like oh and just uh, this was while Force Awakens was being made they were like oh and he's just working on a small movie just down the road uh, not because obviously Pinewood's not too far from London it's J.J. Uh, Abrams and then he came out and yeah it was just totally awesome we were sitting there like going into the Into Darkness night thinking I wonder if Benedict Cumberbatch will be here <laughs> or something along those lines and alas he wasn't but uh, yeah it was pretty cool 
Like, so kind of for UK, what have been some of your kind of favourite Star Trek memories that could have only have been made in the the UK for you? Oh, wow. I don't know. Um, I'm not really sure. Um, I mean, I, I have a lot of memories of, of TNG from being a kid. Um, I think... I, I, there were quite a few people I think that that sort of watched watched it. I I found it was quite mainstream. I didn't I didn't really feel like Star Trek was a weird thing when I was a kid. Hmm. I felt like there were a lot of kids in my school that watched it. I remember it being you know ha- having sort of you know the Star Trek books and stuff. It was it was quite a cool thing to have. I don't I don't think it was really like a geeky thing. Certainly not when I was in primary school. Maybe maybe a little bit older, but but not in those early days. I think because it was new and it it just come back on, and I think a lot of people's parents remembered it from from the back in the day and sort of got them got them watching it and and being a slightly different audience in the UK with with BBC and stuff back then being we didn't have that many channels, so I think a lot of people saw it compared compared within the state i mean what 1990 we still had four channels then right yeah we didn't have cable then <laughs> we had four channels and two of them were bbc yeah, my my dad used to work for uh, uh, a, a cable company out there as like a side job, and I remember him talking about cable and everything. And I, I think what you had to pay an enormous amount of money to get even the stations in the United States um, by satellite and everything. And it's oh my gosh! But yeah, I remember uh, just the basic channels. You only had like four or five channels. It's like oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, it would have been four channels back then because I don't I don't think we got channel five until like the mid nineties. So, you know, when TNG first started, that was one of four channels. So I think a lot more people saw it because of that. But there there weren't that many T V programmes that were niche and out the way because there were so few channels, everybody saw everything. Mm. Like for me, like I'm almost kind of jealous and all that sort of stuff. And like I'm, I, I don't mean this in a rude way, but I cannot relate to you your your experience of being a Star Trek fan at primary school. Like um, I was one of only two Star Trek fans in primary school. Like me and my uh, my best friend at, at school, we were really like the only Star Trek fans. And while everyone else was playing football or running around whatever, we were running around pretending we were in Star Trek. <laughs> and I think I was a precursor to Star Trek Voyager in a way because I always remember it to this day like when we were playing our adventures we used to always pretend that we were fighting the Borg and my mate turned around to me one day going can we not fight the Borg this week can we not just do something the else Borg again, as, a, as a villain <laughs> exactly I was like the precursor to uh, the criticism that was going to come for the writer's room in Voyager and uh, yeah like not knowing at school gave a toss really about kind of Star Trek apart from us too and we were kind of made fun of as kind of nerds and geeks and we probably brought up a bit upon ourselves I'm not saying we justified any kind of bullet, but we were just like just kind of really nerdy and just like you know we weren't willing to kind of really necessarily engage with other kids and we were just kind of playing star trek talking about star trek and um yeah like when i kind of went to high school i kind of lost a bit of interest in it and kind of star trek i mean it was that kind of time it was the early 2000s you know i started high school kind of 99 so you know kind of insurrection and you know all these sorts of nemesis and then enterprise it just kind of was just kind of dying a death really at that point and that was kind of affected it was more fun to go out and hang out with girls and you know go to parties than you know talk about star trek and online forums and stuff it was the uh, same time you know (laughs) yeah exactly and now i can it's you know i it took me like 29 years or whatever but i finally achieved that (laughs) that good balance and stuff um so yeah that was pretty cool and I think like for me and I, I don't know if it's the same for you now then Kelsey but um, like it's been fascinating to see the kind of the change in British culture and the attitude to Star Trek it seems kind of pretty cool to like Star Trek yeah. now like you've got the conventions you've got sellouts at the Albert Hall of all places the most prestige event um, you know like Star Trek Beyond did well here in the UK and so have the other movies and I think that's pretty pretty good to see yeah. I think like you know, and I, I, I don't know, and it's kind of more difficult now, I think, to maybe like Star Trek because it is harder to get the, um, you know, you can't really watch it on TV as much as we did. You've got all these different channels, unless you've got Netflix. It's, it's very difficult to dive into Star Trek, I think. Yeah, I mean, sci-fi do show it, and as you said before, CBS action, but it seems to be a bit random. 
it seems to be random what you get it's not it's not like they show a series all the way through and you know when it's going to be on and all that type of thing it's just a bit hit and miss i do catch it occasionally on sci-fi and stuff because it's nice just to get a random episode and not have to think about what episode you want to watch it's nice to get something random but i think mainly sci-fi i think have next gen and voyager at the moment i don't think they're showing any of the others no, like, I mean, I think one thing that has actually gone in the UK's favour, and I, I, it makes me chuckle, is that we obviously had the, the big £70 DVD box sets when they yeah. came out, like, the early 2000s. And then we, we got the slimline, like, £30 box sets, like, a year or so later, that they're now only releasing in America. That's pretty yeah. crazy. Like, I've seen all this big fuss, like, Deep Space Nine re-released and cheaper now in America. It's like, we've had that, like, ever. 10 years. Yeah, like yeah. I mean that I can you can see those box sets for like five pound in like secondhand DVD shops and stuff. It's it's absolutely crazy. Like it's like and even the the Blu-ray box sets are pretty cheap in the UK yeah. by kind of like the yeah. So I think that kind of helps, but I think it's more difficult. You know, while it's more accepted, unless you've got Netflix, I think it's very very difficult to watch Star Trek and and to get in it. And I I think there could be like maybe a future generation that kind of unless they they're see, i think they're watching the kelvin timeline movies but they're really going to struggle to maybe get access to star trek kind of elsewhere i think they're not going to have the adventures we had where we could tune in regularly and uh, get to watch the mo- movies yeah yeah because i remember the original series movies being on tv a lot when we were kids do you remember mm-hmm. that yeah yeah um yeah voyage home always seemed to be on like yeah. all the time on itv yeah voyage home and star trek 5 they seem to show that a lot as well yes <laughs> i don't know why yeah. i know like i always think the and i think it lends you know to my crisis or bizarre crisis that i've experienced like i think that one of my kind of favorite and most torturous things growing up was like because like it, the way it would rotate obviously was that when it went to sky it was like deep space nine and voyager and voyager originally kicked off on the uk on bbc2 with an amazing like star trek night hosted by jonathan ross and um then it went to the cable channel sky and then it was like you would get a season of star trek voyager monday every week and then after 26 weeks it would turn to the the season of deep space nine straight for 26 weeks then on that so even though they were airing at the same time in Mm -hmm. america they would it was this weird like you could only have one at a time yeah so like with the videos you had to like oh man i really want you know you would have a choice with the videos like oh man this isn't going to be on for like nine months i can buy it now or i can rent it and yeah. i like i don't know why like i love i kind of loved the joy of going to the shops and being able to go oh man which video am i going to pick will it be the deep space nine one will it be the voyage one or will it be this cheaper tng one you know because it's been out for a few years yeah. i love that kind of trick treat of kind of picking <laughs> the videos oh memory lane <laughs> <laughs> You just reminded me of going to Blockbuster and uh, renting out videos. <laughs> renting out videos. Yeah. Blockbuster's gone. <laughs> Blockbuster's been gone for some time. <laughs> no, I yeah. know, I know. <laughs> I just, like, yeah. <laughs> like for me, like I, I, it was always such a kind of. It was a real treat because, like, the nearest Blockbuster because I lived in the countryside, um, was like fifteen miles away. So every so often, like on a Saturday, we would have like a treat where we'd like drive to this town get a chinese takeaway a video rental head back home but we'd have to pretty much return the next day to return this video so essentially you're on a 60 mile round trip to rent a video i mean it's just crazy and like i always loved it because the star trek you know video rentals were like four episodes instead of two so you were getting like extra episodes instead of just like the two for like 12 quid so that was like it was you were away getting this like rental for five quid but you were getting two extra episodes as opposed to just two so you were getting a bit more value so if you thought one episode was bad but the other like (laughs) two or three were great you're like that's not a problem if you were buying a video and it was like one that was good and the other one was bad you're like i can't justify spending 12 pound of my pocket money on that (laughs) yeah and like i yeah, like, and I, 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 even, like, quite recently, like, I, it's been kind of a bit of a holy grail I've been trying to find, like, I've kind of alluded to it, like, once or twice, like, I collect Star Trek VHS artwork, like, the UK stuff, yeah. and I've got, like, about 600 covers now and all that sort of stuff, and I've always been trying to get, like, the blockbuster stuff, and someone recently put up the whole set wow. on eBay for £250. I was like, I can, I'm no way spending that money, and I, I, I messaged him, I was like, hey, I'd be willing to give you, like, 
40 pounds that's really generous because you know you can buy the blu-ray for that kind of thing um, and the guy was like oh no it's kind of like a, it's a very rare to have them all together and I was thinking like no kidding so I was like to him, I was like what I'm going to do is like I will pay you money to scan those covers and send them to me and then I'll print these ones off all myself and stuff just because it was like it would be awesome. almost impossible to get like all 45 of them so it's like like I think like the same with like the toys is the same with these video covers like I spent so much time agonizing over which cover like letting a cover decide which video I wanted to buy that day and then like kind of like now I can have them all together in these binders essentially and I can just dip in and go hey look at that cover or something like that and I think they're amazing little pieces of artwork yeah. and compared to the American artwork which is pretty atrocious I think the UK <laughs> stuff was was pretty ahead of its time yeah it's really interesting actually how you get all this different artwork internationally um one thing that that reminds me of actually and this is something that's been discussed in in, in some of the sort of Voyager web fandom websites and stuff that I've, I've been on and, and forums and stuff and um the German releases for the Voyager relaunch novels have amazing artwork that's like way nicer than any of the other artwork that I've seen. Because I think most of the relaunch novels, as far as I'm aware, we get the same art- artwork as the States. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not aware of the artwork being different, but the German ones apparently Paging they get Matt their rushing and Bruce Gibson. Yeah, they apparently get their own artwork, and I've seen some of them, and they look awesome. They look really cool. Yeah, like I, I think I don't know why I think as I, say, I think the VHS artwork for the UK was, was pretty awesome for the most part. Oh, it was yeah. very unique. Like I think the UK stuff's pretty boring, and as I say, it's been such a a treat to collect them and like obviously shove them all up on like Trek Core and yeah. everything like that. And people seem to kind of get their memories like evoked of them. And I think like that that was kind of part of the joy of the nineties was like Star Trek felt rare and special, and like to get to watch a couple episodes or to watch it on a Wednesday night felt special. And I think I don't know if that's special for people nowadays I don't know I think I'm watching TV I'm not even sure if TV is the right word now because people don't actually watch it on a TV but watching you know serialised drama for want of a better way of putting it um, it, it's different now you know it's all about the binge watch it's not about watching that one episode and then waiting a week for the next episode and then waiting a summer for the next season kind of thing It's it's a different thing yeah, definitely spoiled because that's uh, that's kind of what we're doing with Twenty Four right now. <laughs> oh, Twenty Four. Yeah. Oh my! Oh my God! It's awesome. Um, but like we're we're trying not to. Th- that's what we did for Game of Thrones as well. That we didn't watch for like two or three weeks or something like that, and then watched it all in one night. Those episodes, and then watched the new one that um, that day as well. But no, yeah, definitely, it's a, definitely a different culture. I mean, what Netflix uh, puts out an entire season of. Mm. Um, uh, Luke Cage and I watch it all in one day. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like I have the day booked off for House of Cards. So <laughs> thanks to my generous uh, holiday allocation, I'm like, Orange is I the will new put black. one day towards House. Uh, I, I've only watched the first episode of that. It's I must amazing. Admit. Uh, I haven't seen I've it yet. I've heard that. Yeah. Like I, I'd love to see Kate Mulgrew. I've, the bits I've seen of her in that uh, that show look pretty awesome. I just, She's I, incredible. I've got a list of so much to watch. And I mean, oh, I'm pretty much just rewatching Grand Designs all the time. So it's a real struggle to... Uh, <laughs> Love to, grand to designs. Everyone loves grand designs. <laughs> grand designs is amazing. Ex- exactly. Like, you know, are, do you get grand designs in America, Richard? I don't even know what that is, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a bunch of toffs. I'll, I'll let you explain, Kay. So basically, it's people with a lot of money who decide that they're going to either buy some land or buy a house and like renovate it like ridiculously amazing. And they get this guy who goes and like films them doing it all. Huh. But it's it's so relaxing. And it's, everything it always is. goes wrong. They always get flooding, and like the the wife always has a baby halfway through the bills, doesn't she? Every yes. time. <laughs> exactly, and it always goes. It was meant to be finished by May. It's now the winter, yeah. and everything huh. has come to a halt. And they're living in a caravan, and with um, like eight yeah. children. <laughs> Exactly, it's it's, brilliant. it's it's ridiculous, but yeah, what a show it is! BBC America needs to be showing grand designs. That's all I've got to say. Grand designs. Yeah, exactly. Let me see if that's even in. It'll I, be I on YouTube. A... I'm sure there'll be clips of it on YouTube. I'll send you some stuff, Richard. That'll give you. That'll keep you occupied. <laughs> oh, I'll look um, for, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, I, I, I can't believe that's been nearly 50 minutes already. Um, does anyone have any like points or anything they they want to make um, before we wrap up? No. Uh-uh. 
No, you anything you want to add, Kay, or that anything we've glossed over that or any stories you'd like to share? Um I the only the only other real thing that I, I sort of really is my probably my most abiding memory of starting to watch Star Trek. And I have talked about this a little bit on other other sort of parts of the network before, but I'll I'll mention it because it, it just really sticks in my head. Um, I don't know why, but despite the exciting TV Times article, I assume we must have been out on the day that Encar at Farpoint was on and we had to tape it because the very first episode I saw was The Naked Now. And, that, and what did you think of The Naked Now? I, I loved it when I was a kid. I probably didn't even understand half of it, but I loved it. Yeah. And and the thing that stuck with me for years and years, which when I came back to Star Trek later on and the DVDs started to come out and I started buying the DVDs, the thing that stuck in my head was that scene at the end with Data putting all the chips back into the computer. That just, uh-huh. that stayed in my head. That was just in my head for years as a kid. That was just, yeah, that that was my first thing that really stuck in my head as Star Trek. So that's my little, uh, my little Star Trek abiding memory there. I really like The Naked Now. It's I so love it. silly. It's kind of funny and stuff like that. Like, I think it's the, that's the thing with kind of Star Trek sometimes is that episodes kind of like The Naked Now and Threshold get classed as, this is the worst episode ever. It's so stupid. It's like, yeah, it's stupid, but it's funny. And it's like something, it's just ridiculous in its own right. Give me that over like so many episodes of Star Trek where it's like, there's an anomaly there's an ambassador with a secret. Oh my God, I've been like this so many times. Give me that episode where it's a bit nuts. Like, I can tell you everything about Threshold. I cannot remember anything about that episode where it was like, they go into that cloud or nebula or whatever. You know, it, those episodes really stand out in all the 729 episodes. So things like Naked Now and, you know, I think it gets an unfair reputation. I mean, it's, it is poor, but it's, it's got its charms, I think. I still love it now, yeah. I still love it now. Exactly. Well, we'll have to do like a group commentary on it one day. Like, that would be you know, fab. I'd love the, to do that. Yeah. We'll do that as a patron special one day or yeah. something like that. Even I get Richard's buzzing clearly for that. So <laughs> hey, naked he's now pro- commentary. He's, he's probably glad it's not Code of Honor or something like that. <laughs> oh, Code of Honor. <laughs> well, oh, that Code is of Honor. Oh, man. <laughs> Don't go down there again, Richard. We'll <laughs> abort, abort. Talking about the British experience as Star Trek fans isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what's been happening on all our other shows. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. My casting choices, okay, would be for Ruck, you got to go with Dave Bautista, right? Uh, He's uh, Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. He played Jinx in... uh, Yeah, Inspector. Yeah, was that Jinx? What's his name? Hinks, Mr. Hinks. Hinks, Mr. Hinks. Yeah, Mr. Hinks. That's the wrong James Bond film, everybody. <laughs> the 602 Club. Going back to the Gotham thing really quickly, I know this is semi-derailing. Um, why would you want to move to Gotham? I mean, he has to have been there. It's like the picture that he has on his wall is this beautiful, shining, like daytime view, if I'm not mistaken, of Gotham, which I don't think we ever see. Um, it was like, I'm not really sure. Charm City looks quite nice. <laughs> like, so. Saturday Morning Trek. It's very much like a continuation of the original series. You know what? You raise a very good point, and it's one we probably should have talked about earlier, is that we talk so much about the animation and the limitations of the medium that we forget about the writing. And overall, it's pretty strong throughout the run. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. You can listen to every show on the network at trek.fm with links for iTunes, streaming services, and a direct download link. This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPod, iPad, Kindle, Android, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trek.fm. Thank you, Audible, for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. If you are a weekly listener and would like to directly help Earl Grey, please consider becoming a patron of Trek FM. At patreon.com slash trekfm, you can choose a pledge level and receive rewards. For example, $5 a month gets you into our patron zone. You get exclusive content and access to our early releases. At the $15 a month gets you... Uh, a chance to participate in our monthly roundtable discussions. And those are so much fun getting to talk with everyone. You'll really enjoy that. 
At the $25 a month, you get associate producer credits for any podcast you choose. We would like to take this moment to thank our current Patreon associate producers, Michael Huter and Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Earl Grey. Another way to help out the network and get cool stuff is to visit Redbubble. At redbubble.com slash shop slash trekfm, you can find amazing designs for shirts, pillows, phone cases, and more. And with each purchase, a portion of the sales goes to Trek FM. Connect with other Trek FM listeners on our Facebook discussion group called the Babel Conference. You can search in Facebook Babel, B-A-B-E-L, or you can like the facebook.com slash trekfm page for show updates and announcements. The network is also on Twitter at trekfm. If you would like to contact Lee, Richard, or Amy, that's me, visit trek.fm slash contact to send us a subspace message, or you can find us on social media. So, Richard, if people wanted to reach out to you um, on the network and beyond, where can people find you? Well, they can find me on the Babel Conference. I'll pop in here and there, cause a little trouble. But uh, other than that, uh, I'm also on Twitter, and my handle is xransom. What about yourself, Kay? You've got your own show here on the network, and all that. I I'm sure there's a huge amount of crossover between the two shows, but for people that maybe are just next-generation focused, tell us a little bit about your show and maybe some episodes that people might be wanting to check out. Yeah, sure. So uh, you can hear me on To The Journey, which is Trek FM's dedicated Voyager podcast. Uh, we recently did our 200th episode. We had one of our patrons on, and we had a really great chat about the premise of Voyager and about Caretaker and stuff like that. So that one was really really good um and we've got an interview coming up in a couple of weeks i'm not going to tell you who it is but it should be pretty cool so watch out for that one um other than that you can find me in the babel conference and if you want to look me up on twitter my handle is choco weeble yeah and if you want to find me on the thing yeah I, I pop up on the Babel conference here and there um, you can find me at Lee underscore Nostromo you can find me at Star Trek VHS you can find me on the Filibuster podcast talking about movie nerd and geek culture and you can find me sometimes on the Glasgow's Green Football podcast so join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey today is a good day to die how much did that cost? great joy and gratitude